ISIS aren't as complicated as pensions, but the way things are going, it's only a matter of time. Without losing their heads over it, AJ Bell think there should be only one. They've come up with some good ideas on what that could look like. So here's Tom Selby to explain how it could all work. So we are. So look, Tom Selby, Juan Isa, Juan Isa, the it's not a Spanish product initiative. I, I was really interested in your paper on this. I'm delighted you've got this new trainee PR lobbyist called Andy working for you. He, he, he seems quite good. You know, he seems to be doing a decent job. So that's yeah. nice. And you've written you've written this really interesting paper. So what's the story here? Why are you making a noise about this? And um, you know, where, where are you going with all this? Thanks. Thanks, Tom. Um, uh, yeah, the one, one ISA hadn't actually come up in um, the formulation of, uh, of this policy. I feel like we slightly missed a trick there. The thinking was that ISAs essentially are a sound product. They're, they're popular. People tend to understand them. They came from simple roots and we've got billions of pounds invested in them. They're a really, a really useful complement to pensions. For most people, a bit of ISA and a bit of pensions makes sense when they're saving for the future. But our worry is that, as is often the case with, I think, financial services in particular and pensions in particular, complexity has crept into the ISA system. And if left unchecked, we're we're concerned that there's a, a risk we'll end up in a position where people are put off saving for their future because of that complexity. So we carried out research as as part of this piece of work, and and that research pointed to the fact that customers already struggled to understand the various different types of ISAs. And we're concerned that when a new saver in particular comes to decide they want to save in an ISA, and they search for that on Google and other search engines are, are available, they'll be confronted with six different versions of an ISA from various different providers. They'll they'll see that complexity up front in the shop window and they simply will decide not to go down that route because, because they see that, 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 there's that there's so much complexity, so much choice, and we know all the behavioural research that suggests that too much complexity, too much choice puts people off. So our, our research found large proportion of, of the public unaware of the tax benefits of ISAs already. Unsurprisingly, lots of people struggling to understand that landscape as well. And about half of people we surveyed think the different versions of ISAs make them too complicated. So we think there's there's kind of an opportunity here for a, a review of the ISA landscape. We, we think the government is up for looking at this as, it, as I think it is up for looking at various other parts of the tax system as well. And we think that it ties in quite nicely with the the advice guidance agenda that's that's going on between the Financial Conduct Authority and, and the Treasury. So we've got this piece of work at the moment that's looking to improve the way that the industry engages with customers to hopefully get more better informed, better engaged customers. And we're, our hope is that in if we can solve that problem, then if we get a, a wall over a long period of time, of course, a wall of better informed, more engaged customers looking to save for the future, the products they save in ISAs and hopefully pensions as well are a bit simpler so that they can engage with them, understand them and hopefully save a bit more. So that's the, the panacea. 
we think generally there's there is a mood for for looking at this stuff from government now for simplification and so it was it was a paper that we kind of have wanted to get out there as an aside i think i mentioned this to you the other week this was it's something that's kind of been boiling beneath the surface for a while for us so we we did actually prepare and launch a version of this paper in, in February 2020. But unsurprisingly, that didn't quite get the people amount of... other things on their <laughs> I think we had about a two-week two week runway to get people interested in it. And then, and then the pandemic hit. And then clearly, I think, for, you know, for, in a way, for the past kind of two and a half, three years, and you know, we've got inflation now, that's, that's slightly dominated the, the airways and dominated the debate, and, and rightly so. But it feels now, as we're, hopefully, once we've moved out of this period of cost of crisis there's going to be appetite to look at investing and saving for the future and simplification and and so we wanted to to kind of start that that debate now for when we might be in a position to to move towards some sort of reform i really like that and i thought you know you made some points out of the the, the consumer research not as you said Mm. only half of people half of people think the multiple ices are confusing you also found that less than half of people know what the different types of ices Mm. are and less than a third of people know the annual allowance is twenty thousand pounds, and, mm. and actually, you know, I'm, I'm encouraged the numbers are as high as that because you know I'm not surprised a lot of people don't know really what's going on here, and I think politicians come up with bright ideas for the best mm. of reasons, but you know, all of you know, let's launch another ISA, let's launch another ISA, yeah. and so on. Oh, we'll have a slightly different set of rules for that one, and we'll slightly different set of rules for that one. And all I of agree. a sudden, you just yeah. got to, each, each decision in isolation might make sense, but when you layer them all on, and we've seen this so many times with pensions, and we're heading, as you say, we're heading down the same road with ISAs now. When you, when you layer them all on top of each other, the poor consumer just, you know, even if, even if they battle through and they do engage and they do buy, they walk away with a slight sense of, well, I'm not entirely sure I know what I'm doing here and I'm not sure I've made the right decision. And there's a sense of discomfort and disenchantment with the whole financial services system. Mm-hmm. So even if you do get them to save and invest, they still don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I absolutely agree with you, making things simpler really sort of, but it, it actually makes people trust things more. So yeah. So I think all of that. Oh, yeah, I, know, I like this. Only 7% of people know the lifetime ice for allowance is £4,000. Again, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised it's as high as that. <laughs> you know, then, you know, innovative finance ices. I mean, yeah. that, I mean, honestly, I thought that was a pretty stupid idea then. And I'm, I'm not I'm not persuaded otherwise now. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. And, 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 and of course, the, the position we're in now, I mean, we've seen, you know, for, for example, there have been um, some proposals put forward for, for care ices. And I think where where we've we've got to is that I think within political circles certainly there's a perhaps a temptation to use ISAs to solve every problem under the sun. So we've seen it with help to buy ISA, we've seen it with the lifetime ISA, and the innovative finance ISA. And our, our worry was that if we didn't put these arguments out there, that government may just keep on going down this merry road of adding extra ISA after extra ISA after extra ISA to the system. And we've seen with pensions that actually these these changes are often made for good reasons, but with no real thought to the impact it has on complexity or consumer understanding or, or anything anything like that. I just don't think that those are, are issues when governments are looking for interventions that perhaps push customers down a certain bit to behave in a certain way or invest in in a certain way it's 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 not something that naturally comes across policymakers radars for for whatever whatever reason and so we thought it was important to to get the idea of simplification and the idea that actually complexity 
is a problem in and of itself out there and in the and in the public consciousness as much as anything to push back against that risk that we're just going to get lots and lots of ISIS and the government might think that actually everybody more. wants more Do ISIS. More. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what are you proposing then? What 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 do the sunlit uplands look like under the AJ Bell one ISA regime? Okay, so so important to start out, I think, by by saying that we're aiming to start a debate here. So we've produced this policy paper to to try to kick off that debate. It's something that we've argued about internally for for a while. And we're we're very much coming at this that we we don't expect to have the perfect answer, but we we wanted to get some concrete proposals out there so that there was something around which we could you know debate and talk about. So exactly. So the the core proposal would be a one ISA with a £20,000 allowance. So similar in tax terms to what we've got at the moment. Ideally that allowance would be pegged to Inflation, so I think that's something that's little talked about. Actually, that the 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 ISA allowance in particular has remained at twenty thousand pounds for a long time and is clearly being eroded away in real terms. We'd like to see the junior ISA wrapped into that, so an an account within the one ISA that can be saved into for under eighteens. And again, we'd like that allowance to be pegged to inflation. It's currently nine thousand pounds, and of course, increased quite recently. So that might be a bit too much of an ask, but ideally, having some sort of inflation protection built within those allowances, I think, would be a good thing. So we're not seeing the the allowances eroded away over time by by rising prices. So you then end up with a a single ISA wrapper for cash and or investment. So it would be up to each individual one ISA provider to decide whether they wanted to just do cash, just do investments within that one ISA, or if they wanted to do both. My expectation is that if this happened, what you'd see is more providers looking to perhaps offer stocks and shares investments that don't do it at the moment, and those that don't focus on cash might be tempted to do it so that they can have everything under one roof. But in a way, the, mar- the market would decide how that would work. Now, we would like to see the, the innovative finance ISA that you mentioned earlier scrapped altogether. We don't think it's been popular. Um, I think the numbers suggest what, it's not been but Tom, popular. what will I do with my Bitcoin? What will I do with my Bitcoin? <laughs> <laughs> with what's left of it? Um, yeah, so, so I, th- I think we just th- think that's not been a positive addition to the savings landscape. Generally, there are lots of... I was relying on that for my retirement. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, com- I'm confident that you saved assiduously elsewhere. So those are the kind of key tenets. Now, the most difficult bit of this is around, unsurprisingly, the, the lifetime ISA, because that's a version of ISA, of course, that's got a bonus element yeah. included. And so the question is, for the government, and this is obviously a question for government, if they were looking at ISA simplification, and we think there is some interest in this area, do you want to retain that bonus element. So at the moment, lifetime as you can save up to four thousand pounds and get twenty five percent bonus up to a thousand pounds with all the, you know, all the other uh, restrictions that are wrapped around it. Do you want to retain that bonus element within a one ISA? In which case, we think the simplest way to do that would be to have subscription years linked to the you know, the number of years you subscribe to a one ISA if you qualify. As as uh, but having that bonus paid at the point you access the money rather than paid in initially, just because we think administratively that would be simpler. On the other end of that spectrum, the government could simply decide to remove bonus elements from the ISA landscape altogether. Now we've we've tried to come up with a way to include that bonus element if the government wanted to. I think we would be 
reasonably relaxed if the government decided that actually, you know what, we don't want to have bonus elements as part of the ISO landscape anymore. If that were the price for simplification, then I think we could live with that. But politically, I think that would be quite difficult when you think about first-time buyers, for example. So we felt it was it was important to try to show that you could include a bonus element within this single ISA product if you wanted to, but those would obviously be decisions that would need to be be made by government ministers, and and, and that's essentially it. That's that's the starting point of, of the debate that we're we're trying to get going around ISA simplification. We think it's broadly doable. I think that we've we've had some bits of pushback already on some of the the practicalities and actually one we can get into this one of the interesting bits of this is that in our original version of the paper we said that under the rules you could only subscribe to one one ISA in any tax year so to kind of mirror the rules that we have for ISAs at the moment what's what that started is a debate around exactly why it is that people can only pay into a single type of ISA every tax year at the moment. And actually, it's something we discussed the other week. It's if you look at pensions, you can pay into as many pensions as you like in a tax year. Now, we were told that the reason that you can only pay into a single type of ISA, ISA is so they can keep check of the amount of tax incentives that they're, that they're giving to people, HMRC that is, and that their systems couldn't, couldn't cope with people being able to pay into to multiple versions of, of one ISA or multiple versions of ISAs. I've not seen the specific yeah, how is, how reason is that different for that. To pensions, right? Correct, yeah. So that, and, and that's actually been one of the interesting things in doing that, besides from the fact of you know, putting the policy paper together and, and going out and getting feedback, and we can talk about that, and, and putting these ideas to to ministers and and going through the thinking actually once we put it out there I, I had a feeling that there'd be something like this would happen where actually there's people who are looking at this with fresh eyes who frankly haven't had their heads buried in it for the past six months to a year who look at something and go hang on is that the best consumer outcome and actually if we're absolutely honest about it the best consumer outcome would be well from my point of view anyway would be moving to a one ISA world but where people can have one ISAs with lots of different providers so if there is you know, a bank or building society that has cash ISAs that offers better rates, then they could have one ISA over there. And you could have another one ISA with investment platform provider A on the other side with a bit of stocks and shares invested as well. So one thing I'm interested to find out as part of this process is, is the, the the specific reason that we have those tax rules at the moment. Now, I've, I've yet to get a clear answer from anyone on that other than essentially this is how it works and it would be administratively difficult for HMRC to do anything else. But as you say, pensions are dealt with in this way. Pensions, to my mind, are actually more complicated than ISIS from a tax perspective. So we'll be speaking to HMRC about those issues. It may be that there is a very good reason and it's that ISAs are different in some way that, that I'm not familiar with and that that is the only way that it can work. But the fact that we've done this piece of work has actually kind of drawn up that question that I haven't really heard asked too much. So, so we'll be putting that question to to policymakers, and hopefully, at the very least, we'll, we'll get an answer and we'll see if we can make some progress. Interesting, and hopefully, the answer will go somewhere beyond computer says no. <laughs> so, uh, which kind of maybe what you get from mm. HMRC, and I think you possibly make a really good point around that. So, it is 
daft that once you've committed to one ISA mm. in a tax year, you're then stuck with it. It's just a really, like you say, it's just really unsympathetic to consumers. I hope that through this work, you, if, if nothing else, you resolve that. Mm. So you talked, uh, I just want to come back to the lifetime ISA a bit because you talked a bit about that. Uh, and rightly, I think you focus on that as being perhaps the most contentious bit mm-hmm. of it. So a couple of thoughts struck me when you were talking yeah. about that. One is... First of all, question: Would you would you retain the, the age forty limit for the bonus, or would that just get scrapped as part of all of this? That would be for government to right. to okay, decide. Okay. But if it, if it, you know if if government decided that it wanted to retain the the restrictions that are in place around lifetime ISAs within a one ISA, then then we think it would be possible to do that. And actually, it would be possible if a government wanted to 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 try to incentivize other types of behaviour as well. So saving for for long term care for example, or, or, or saving for other things as well. Now, the, th- the, the challenge here, and this is one of the big debates that we had internally, is around simplification versus the government trying to incentivize certain kinds of behaviour. And actually, if we were really honest, if the lifetime ISA hadn't been created, and as far as I'm aware, nobody was calling for a lifetime ISA to be created before George Osborne created it, then we wouldn't be asking for bonuses to be included within a one ISA. I don't think. I don't think it was something that was particularly on anyone's agenda. But the challenge is that once the, the lifetime ISA is out there with the bonus element, it's harder to put the genie back in the bottle. And I think politically, as I mentioned, particularly for, for government, it'd be quite hard to, to move away from that bonus element. So we, we've tried to show how that bonus element could be included within a one ISA and to show how, if the government wanted to, it could incentivise other behaviours. Personally, I'd err on the side of simplicity with all this. I think our, our main argument is around simplifying what is an overly complex system, but we know that politicians aren't necessarily going to think that way. And so we wanted to come up with a way for for government to incentivise those behaviours if it chose to do so within a single tax wrapper and a single product. That's that's all really interesting. A couple of thoughts I want to come back on there. So one is, you talked about the genesis of the lifetime ISA Mm. as George Osborne's solution to, Mm. in 2015-16, to the consultation on pension tax reform, Mm. where the Treasury lifted the lid on pension taxation, failed to find any kind of a consensus they were comfortable with, and went, oh, bugger it, we'll have a lifetime ISA instead. But that at the time was a Trojan horse intended to pave the way to open the gates to more fundamental reform of pension Mm. taxation. And then that got derailed by Brexit, so that never happened. So then we just got stuck with this horse full of increasingly thirsty Greeks sitting sitting inside the (laughs) gates um, without any any meaningful purpose. So, So there was that... But as you said, and Steve Webb's talked about this before, you know, it's even much easier for ministers to give things than to take them away. And mm. once you've given them some people something, they then get really disproportionately eggy when you then remove something they've mm. got accustomed to. And I guess my pushback on this would be the extent, you know, the problems we've seen with the self-employed and retirement saving, mm. and the extent to which the self-employed typically have embraced ISAs. And then perhaps for younger self-employed people, lifetime ISAs as the solution to their long-term savings. So, you know, particularly for the self-employed, they're uncomfortable about tying capital up in the long-term deal you get with pensions. ISAs and particularly lifetime ISAs with that that bonus system are an attractive solution 
so that conundrum. But I mean, I agree. I think I think that's I think that's a fair point. I think um, the, you know that one of the big challenges actually with the with the lifetime ISA in terms of selling that as a solution to self-employed people has been around some of the the restrictions and the and the twenty five percent exit penalty, of course. So if if those could be could be addressed, then I, I would wholeheartedly agree that that's a solution that that very much could suit self-employed workers. And perhaps there's an argument that a lifetime ISA could sit outside of the ISA framework almost and work in a in a different way so in a, in if you look at the the way that ISAs operate the lifetime ISA is kind of an odd bedfellow to mm. cash ISAs and stocks and shares ISAs primarily because it has these restrictions and that bonus element and perhaps there would be a way to rebrand and rename the lifetime ISA as something else remove it from that tax the t- the area of tax that it sits at the moment and then say you've got this product over here that's designed for self-employed people and people looking to buy a first home and it's got a bonus attached to it and then you've got the ISA world over here now then of course you would have the challenges as you always do and this is always the pushback and it's totally fair because I say the same thing about pensions reform because you've got the flow of new contributions and new subscriptions going in and then you've got the stuff that already exists so once you create a product like a lifetime ISA, you've got loads of people in there, hundreds of thousands of people who saved in a lifetime ISA. And if you're going to move it over to being something else, then how do you do that? So that's not something that we've thought about in any detail as a proposal, but I I agree with your the thrust of your point that it's harder to take things away than it is to give things to people and that the lifetime ISA does have the potential to be a really useful savings vehicle for the self-employed. I think the part of the challenge is that, as I said at the, at the top, it doesn't, it almost doesn't feel like an ISA. So what's it doing sitting in ISA land? But we are where we are. And I guess the question is, is it possible for us to get to a world where we have a simpler ISA and we have something that offers people bonuses at the same time? And, and that's what we're, the answer we're trying to hopefully get to, but I, I appreciate none of this is simple unfortunately no, and, and i do actually like your answer to this as saying well okay we'll have one isa and i'm you know, a big fan of simplicity <clears throat> and then maybe governments could say we'll offer some back-end bonuses <clears throat> under certain controlled circumstances so then it serves the purpose that a lifetime isa does it's just the money's at the back end yeah. on the front end the one drawback with that is people don't trust governments to honor promises yeah. in the future at least with a lifetime isa you get the bonus up front and even if there's a pet, small, small penalty for taking it out you've got the money so yeah that's so that's a fair challenge. Yeah. I'm kind of with you over the for the whole broad thrust of mm. what you're trying to do here and saying, well, look, let's have one ISA and then maybe we could have some some additional bonuses built in for certain specific circumstances, like you say, for long-term care, vocational training, mm. green home improvements, that kind of thing. But all, as you said, you know, with commendable humility, you know, we don't have all the answers. We're just kind of trying to stimulate a discussion on all of this. And I think I, th- I think it's a really good conversation to have. So so what kind of reception have you had from the industry and from policymakers on all of this? So the Treasury and government generally, I do think there is broadly appetite to look at interesting reforms around financial services. So I'd describe the reception from government as interested and receptive. I'd say from industry at a high level, we I think maybe we had one firm, and I won't name names, one firm that disagreed with the notion that ISAs have become too complicated. Everybody else agreed 
on that and then the debates yeah general agreement on the thrust of the proposals and the debates very much being around the bonus element and how you administer that the transition from the old system to the new system perhaps some questions as well around real practicalities like risk warnings so what kind of risk warnings would need to be given within a one ISA if you've got someone who's just invested in cash for example would they need to receive investment risk warnings to my mind that would right. that would seem completely nonsensical but th- those are clearly things that we would need to work through if we got to a you know some formal proposals and a formal consultation but broadly i would say the vast majority of people agree that simplification would be a good thing everyone's up for a debate on it and and the the question now moves to those to some of those nitty-gritty practicalities which i i don't make light of because i mean you you know better than me that that's essentially where ideas either swim or sink you know it's, it's all well and good having an, an idea at a high level but if you can't implement it in a relatively straightforward way that doesn't burden people and doesn't lead as well most importantly to to customers who are voters of course getting incredibly annoyed at what's happening if you can do that then then perhaps an idea will fly but if you if you can't then then it won't so well, I think we're in those discussions now so we'll we'll see where where they get to but I think broadly we've been we've been pleased with the response we're trying to to kind of go and speak to as broad a coalition as possible I think there's there's always a danger if you're you know a platform you just speak to other platforms or indeed you know if you're trying to influence policy you might just be tempted to speak to people who you know are going to agree with you so we're trying to very much avoid that and go around think tanks and other providers and insurance companies and and all the rest of it and I think the, the, the there is I would say ninety percent of people we've spoken to agree that there's a problem here and then it's just a question of eyeing in ironing out what what a solution might look like. Interesting. Okay, that all sounds very positive and hopefully we can come back to this topic as the year progresses with news of further developments so fingers crossed it'll be, it'll be it'll be your podcast first of all if we get any developments at all you know that i'll be i'll be on on the landcat pod- podcast all right first thank, thing. thanks tom good to talk to you again cheers tom thanks so there you go excellent work from tom selby it's a kind of magic if you enjoyed this episode then do please say nice things leave positive reviews subscribe to the podcast tell your children and so on Thanks as ever to Ross Burns for his editing. Thanks for listening.